Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm excited to dive into some things this week and God willing next. We're touching on today the pulpit-driven church versus kingdom-driven church. By those title or those names, you probably are guessing what this is about. You might even think you totally understand, but go on this journey with me. As you know, around here, uh, you hear some things you've never heard before. (laughs) We thank God for that. But speaking about pulpit-driven church versus kingdom-driven church, and then I think next week I'll go into why the current church model that most of us are attached to uh, has delivered really only approximately a 10% result uh, if if we're being graded by the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We're building great churches, sure. I think we've we've we score pretty high on that front. But the great commission of actually discipling nations. Have you under, have you ever wondered why? <laughs> why we're not doing better? <laughs> have you ever stopped on Matthew uh, uh, twenty eight there and just uh, just said, hold on a second. I'm not seeing the discipleship of nations happening, and 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 I know people are locked up in the building, but I don't understand why. And I. You know, these are the kind of things I want to be able to answer. In fact, the late Peter Wagner, he's passed on now, he actually asked this question of, you know, now that we know it's about going beyond the four walls, not just waiting inside the church uh, to die, like heaven's waiting room or hospital, but uh, now that we know where to go beyond the four walls and bring the kingdom to society, how do we do it? And what do we do with the Sunday morning? Do we change something with that dynamic? And well, I'm going to be happy to answer these questions in a way that will excite pastors this week and next. So pulpit-driven church versus kingdom-driven church. For those of you who know my story, you know that the Lord set me up for a great collision with this concept. And as hard as the transition was in our church, uh, the Lord really was having mercy on me, to be honest. Uh, We experienced incredible revival services for a seven or eight year period. For me as a new minister, there just wasn't anything greater than gathering people in the building. I felt as though, look, for every Christian survival, they just have to hear my sermon. <laughs> Next week, you've just got to be there. And, and, and there was nothing that made me more happy than seeing our numbers increase in the building, taking up the tithes and, and offerings, and also seeing what the, the incredible things Holy Spirit was doing in these services. The problem was it was profoundly limited to what was happening in the services in the building. I mean, we would see incredible things happen. You know, I remember one night a young man had come back with doctor-documented miracle healing of of, uh, Tourette's syndrome, I think it was, and he stood on the stage, and we, we were seeing fantastic things like this. And then when I got in my car that night to drive away and I'm seeing the cars go by on the street and I'm seeing people walking, waiting for the bus, I'm thinking, man, the God of the universe just showed up at, 
at, <laughs> I'll, I won't give our street address, but just showed up at our church in that building, and, and these people don't know it. And I began to investigate how to get people aware, how to bring the kingdom to people. And it was around that period of time when I began to pray into this and pursue how to make the shift because they just weren't running to our church. And one of the most scary moments I ever had, and I'm sure pastors, you can, be, you can relate, was when I realized that there was no, I could preach the greatest sermon. <laughs> we could have the most incredible service that just left you awestruck. And it wasn't enough to get the city to come running to our church and see a book of Acts and, and great commission fulfilled in, in our city, let alone our, our nation. That was scary for me. And it was at that time I began to try everything to get these services uh, doing more than we were. I was encouraging evangelism. We, we did prophetic evangelism and going out into the street and all of that. And, and we reached people out there, but they <laughs> weren't necessarily returning to the church. And so, you know what? The Lord had mercy as he withdrew his glory from these fantastic meetings, I thought I had sinned or, you know, God had left us. And I began to try to reproduce old glory by functioning in the flesh. And to my total shock, as he removed his glory, I discovered he was trying to now show me another side of what is a two-sided coin. He had shown us the thriving in-house renewal, revival, awesome church, healthy church services, you know, preparing people. They come, they get a touch from God, just like Azusa Street, perhaps. And now he wanted to show me the other side, which was the sending piece, the go and disciple all nations piece, which we usually think we understand, but the gap between the local church. Tell me if I'm wrong. Well, you can't, it's a podcast, but tell me if I'm wrong. The gap between the local church and the society is massive. And we have not been good at closing that gap. We try events and, you know, maybe street evangelism, different things. And we just have not been able to close that gap very well. Some places have, but those are kingdom-driven church models, which I'm going to uh, get into. So it was at that time that the Lord began to reveal to me, if they're not coming, I need to send our people. And the first milestone you'll run into when you try to send your people out there you'll run into the systemic selfishness and egocentric concept of Christianity and kingdom and church. <laughs> that was loaded what I just said, I'm sorry. But the first thing you'll run into is the selfishness, systemic selfishness within our churches, predominantly in a North American uh, context. That's what I ran into. The price it would these people would have to pay to reach people out there and start ministries and, and beat down the devil was far too much a price for the discomfort they would face to do so. Uh, it just didn't seem worthy to them. And I'll, I'll address this. I'll answer this question of how we change that in our church. But that's the first thing you'll run into. Then from there, you're, you're going to run into, well, what is their platform out there? How do they bring influence in a way that's sustainable, a way that occupies territory? Well, you, you find out quickly that street evangelism, as great as that is, is not necessarily enough to disciple the city. It's not enough to disciple the nation. And so then you get into, for some people, they fall into the pitfall along the way of the program-based prop church. 
all kinds of props, making the Sunday morning a presentation that's like, you know, would, would, would rival a, a, a drama production. And you try all of that thinking you'll get people to come with the smoke and the lights and you go down that road and you say, how come that is not attracting people? I just want to remind you, church, that what we specialize, we might not be experts in dramatic presentations. We might not be experts in every week executing something worthy of, of Warner Brothers or, you know, what we are supposed to specialize in is a gospel that reaches all people, the love of God, the supernatural power of God, and the advancement of the kingdom, both in principles and spirit. I'll come back to that later, but, but that's what you'll run into. Then, if you can awaken people to what their calling and purpose is, if you get skilled in that area where you're really showing people that each person has an individual calling and purpose, each person has a place of influence either in the church or out in society. I call them pulpits, people pulpits out there. If you can, if you can help them to discover that, now it becomes about organizing them to execute out there. Another concept that we call organized righteousness or organizing the kingdom. How to organize the kingdom out there in society in a way that's sustainable and occupies territory until the kingdom of God becomes systemic in nature throughout the society, which makes for transformation, <laughs> which makes for discipling nations. So, so now that I've given that little intro and hors d'oeuvre, which was fully loaded, uh, I, I want to unpackage just a little bit pulpit-driven church versus kingdom-driven church. When we talk about a pulpit-driven church, it is what it sounds like. It's a church that largely centers around what happens on, on a stage, on a sun, usually once a week, and, and it's the pastor who's the main deal, that the work of the ministry is the pa you know what the pastor is doing in that building. That's all good. By the way, can I just throw out this this disclaimer here, uh, as we're taxiing down the runway, nowhere at any time in my teachings or History Makers Academy or in this podcast will I be saying that we need to throw away the local church, it's the end of Sunday services, it's now the kingdom era. I will never talk like that because I believe until the end of time, until Jesus returns, the local church gathering, uh, however they gather, Will be, will be something, it, it's the wisdom of God. It's how God is going to do things. And you find that out as you get ministries and people out in society reaching people. You got to bring them somewhere. They got to be put through the system. They got to go through the factory, get trained and equipped and sent out again from the, 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 the embassy, the, the, uh, the local church or apostolic center, some are calling it. And so, you know, we're not throwing that away. There's, there's something unique in, in worship when we gather corporately. There's communion that we take together. There is hearing the vision and, and message from our apostle or senior pastor. Uh, there is the accountability factor, the community. There's just a million great reasons to gather for church once a week. So I will never be throwing that away. However, the overemphasis of pulpit-driven ministry as the sole way that we reach people. And by the way, I would estimate approximately 90% of churches in the world are pulpit-driven models. 
90%, I would estimate, some may even say higher than that, <laughs> are pulpit-driven models that are so limiting to the kingdom getting to where it needs to go for nations to be discipled. You ask why? How, can, how dare you? What gives you the audacity to say 90% are, are limited like that? Well, listen, some people would even beg higher, and let's look at the results. As Dr. Phil used to say, how's it working for you? <laughs> so as I unpackage this, I'm going to explain all of these dynamics in a way that you can probably travel the world seven times and never hear. So fasten your seatbelt. But firstly, let's give a little comparison study, short comparison on pulpit versus kingdom-driven church. Uh, uh, one, one characteristic of the pulpit-driven church is like I said, everything revolves around the Sunday service experience. Most of the midweek meetings are about how to make the sound and tech better on a Sunday morning, how to work through your transitions in the presentation. I have even heard of churches that have, have meetings that are debriefs of the previous Sunday, then a, then a production meeting for the following Sunday, and even a help the pastor with his sermon meeting. Just meetings, 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 where everything through the week is totally absorbed by what's going to happen in two hours on a Sunday. No wonder the community is left in need. So the pulpit-driven church, everything revolves around that. The kingdom-driven church doesn't neglect the Sunday experience. Sure, they're, they're meeting about how to do things better, but the, the kingdom-driven church is thinking about the kingdom of God not just advancing within the four walls of the building and the two hours on a Sunday, but the kingdom-driven church is thinking about the society. They are just as concerned about what's happening in, in their community as they are what's happening on a Sunday morning. So this means the meeting dynamic changes, structure changes immediately when you go down that road. You get into social program, department, uh, all kinds of, of amazing things that I'm going to talk about but let's keep going down this roadway here. So, so the pulpit-driven church, everything that revolves around the pulpit uh, and the influence from the pulpit to the pew. Pew is a word, we, <laughs> a little old-fashioned word for the benches or the chairs. But everything revolved around ministry from the pulpit to the pew, where the kingdom-driven church, everything revolves around ministry from the church to the community, to where the people are, both online and, and in society. So that brings us to our next point. The pulpit-driven church, the work of the ministry is done by the pastor to the people in, in the church chairs. That's considered the, the real work of the ministry. And you don't really have a ministry if you're not a pastor. You can't say you're in full-time ministry if you're not the pastor on the stage, and that's really the work of the ministry. And by the way, if you want to see people saved, you bring them to church on Sunday so that when the pastor ends his message, he gives a quick three-minute uh, three McSalvation message, McMessage, <laughs> at the end of his sermon, quickly telling them they can get out of hell that is impending uh, by coming to the front and reciting a prayer 
and then we kind of send them on their way, hoping they come back next week, leaving them with the thinking that, okay, I got my get out of hell, hell card. Why would I come back next week? I'll just go and do what I'm doing. Why? Because they lack discipleship. There isn't a system that takes them from that encounter with Jesus through the discipleship process, deliverance process if needed, and then into equipping for destiny and sending. So there's a whole thing to this here. So the pulpit-driven church emphasizes ministry is done by the pastor or pastoral team. The kingdom-driven church places emphasis on the people and their pulpits out in society. <laughs> the work of the ministry is predominantly done by the people out in the community in their place of influence and the pastor or apostle sees their role as how can I grow you? How can I equip you? How can I help you discover your pulpit out there and then send you on your way with as much backing resources and empowerment as possible, thus extending the influence of the church out there? I've often said, having walked this journey, I and others would consider myself a little bit of a practitioner in this area, not just theory. I've done it. I've helped other churches to do it. That's what History Makers Academy does. Uh, we are, uh, when you equip people to go out and occupy their places, you as a pastor or apostle, you can now pastor your city through your church members. This is where the influence happens. This is where church growth in the 21st century uh, happens. So, so a kingdom-driven church emphasizes the work of the ministry being done by average individuals who discovered their calling and are equipped in it. This is different than just discipleship in their working out their salvation. This is equipping for, for sending. All right? And, and each one of these points I could go into for several hours, but we, we've got to get through the <laughs> a few of them here. The pulpit-driven church Pastors tend to view people as a resource to increase church membership. That's at the very least. Is let's, It's not as bad as it sounds in some cases, but let's use people to increase the growth of the church. And, and on the worst end, it's let's use people to build my own kingdom. I'm just going to say it like it is. If there are people out there that use people to, to benefit themselves or, or want to create a platform for themselves, a lot of these kind of people go into ministry and they start churches. It's because they know they can build up their own ego, their own desires. They build many kingdoms that are egocentric churches. Not all pulpit-driven churches are like this, let me say that, but enough of them are. This is part of the problem is the more people I have, the more I define myself as a successful pastor. I used to laugh when, when you know, we were already at a place where our church, you know, was at a certain level, but we were sending so much, you know, the influence was incredible. The mayor of our city gave us an award, and at that time we had only sent 13 people in an organized way, but the work they had done in the community was so systemic in nature, it, it, it just released the kingdom in such a way that the city and city officials thought there must be hundreds of us <laughs> in, in this movement. And so, uh, let me get back to this here. A lot of us are, are wanting to use people to build our own kingdom and be successful. And, and when I would go to some of these ministerial events or sit with pastors, 
it was only a matter of time before the question came up, how many people do you have in your church? <laughs> and, and we'd go around and everyone's sharing how many people they have in their church. And, uh, and we, you know, the guy with the most people at the table was deemed sort of the most successful. And imagine that we grid ministry success by how many people show up to a building once a week for a service, how many people have joined your club. Uh, this is what we've done. <laughs> and it's the, it's the total opposite. You know, nothing against big churches and gathering people. That's great. The society respects a commanding presence of a large church. It's wonderful. Nothing against that, but when that is the grid and the guy with the smaller church or woman with the smaller church, she could be influencing society in profound ways, but she thinks, or he thinks, I'm never successful in ministry until I get my, my numbers up. You know, we know it's not about how many people you can get in your building on a Sunday. It's about how much kingdom you can bring to the society through no matter how many people you have. Small is the new big. I've, we did it with 13 people. Uh, and I know if some of these larger churches could get into some of these keys that I'm going to be sharing, especially next week, you can literally, literally turn your city upside down. You can actually disciple your nation. So pastors typically in the pulpit-driven church, they're increasing membership to increase whatever their motive is. In the kingdom-driven church, however... The pastor or apostle, I'm, I'm, I'm interwoven pastor and apostle just for some of the apostolic people out there who say, well, that's why they're not seeing results. They're just the office of a pastor. And we start to make these hardcore definitions, but the lines are much blurrier than that. Pastor in a kingdom-driven church, the pastor views people as helping to create not only a healthy church, yes, but... The pastor is thinking about increasing the kingdom beyond the walls. Their mind is, is, is not using people to build up just the church, but how can we use people to bring Jesus to society? How can we use people resource to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community? I'll never forget being at City Hall in Oshawa when a city councillor had heard some of our, our graduates giving their presentations of how they were totally normal, uh, average people, didn't think they could be in ministry. Now they had programs out there in society. They were bringing tangible change. And, uh, and I remember the city councillor said, how, how did you get so many people to give free labor to the city? <laughs> he thought of it as free labor to the city. You know, and, and we had like city revitalization program, uh, kingdom builders or whatever it's called. We, we, we had all these different people starting these different programs, community builders. And, uh, and so he said, how did you get uh, your people to give free human resource? And this was literally my answer to him. And it was even profound when I heard it come out of my mouth. I just said, sir, we gather like a thousand people every week that come and sit. And we talk about love. We talk about God's love. We sing about love. We sing about reaching people. And I said, we just decided to train them and organize them to do more than just talk about it and sing about it. <laughs> New thought. 
And so he, he just, wow. And, and the light bulb goes on for people as far as, wow, this is the role of the church. The church could actually change its society. And we experienced this in Namibia. Uh, the Namibian government had said, look, we blocked evangelistic evangelical ministries from coming into the country uh, and ministering because typically you guys take up, you know, you have big crusades and you take up big offerings and you leave the country with all our money and you don't pay taxes. <laughs> that was the accusation. Again, very pulpit model, big event. And, and we say that's the gospel. Uh, and and the, the government said, but we welcome History Maker Society into the country because you teach Namibians how to rebuild Namibia. <laughs> this is discipling nations, my friends. Before I get too excited, let's continue down here. So the kingdom-driven church wants to use people, yes, to, to help the church to thrive. You need a healthy center. But the kingdom-driven church is thinking, how can we get people to bring the kingdom and build up the society. The pulpit-driven church thinks in terms of how many people can we get in the building. That's the main deal, the rise and fall. The kingdom-driven church says how many people can we get outside of the building. <laughs> the pulpit-driven church thinks how many people can we get active in our, in our, in our church. Kingdom-driven church is thinking with the eyes of God. How can we get our people active in the community? How can we awaken them to their calling, purpose, and destiny, and then send them in an organized way to occupy territory? Now, the pulpit-driven church trains people to build the church. Even though Jesus said, I will build my church, by the way. Trains people to build the church. However, the kingdom-driven model trains people to build the kingdom. <laughs> I know it, it sounds sort of simple, but man, does it have ramifications in how you establish your church and your ministry. And look, I've got hundreds of stories of this as a working concept. I'm going to go into real depth next week, but, but the pulpit-driven church trains people. They focus on training people to build the church. How can I be a better usher? How can I do better video production, and that's all part of it. For some people, that's their ministry. Video production, ushering, uh, singing, worship team. You have to have a healthy local church. But our end game is still the same, the Great Commission of discipling people. And, if, and, and look, if somebody comes into your church because they love the production so much, and they, that brought them there, and they stayed, and they got saved, and they got discipled, man, that is worth it. But we have several decades now of finding out that that only delivers a certain amount of results. It's limited when it comes to the grid. Remember, the, the, the standard by which we're grading ourselves is the fulfillment of the Great Commission as defined by discipling nations, not just discipling your church, discipling nations. So the kingdom-driven church trains people to build the kingdom. Next, the pulpit-driven church focuses on reproducing more pastors and church planting. That's not bad. We want to produce as many pastors as we can, as many people in as many five-fold offices as possible. Church planting, also not bad. However, you will discover that nations that have the most churches 
a church on every corner. A good example of this would be Jamaica. Uh, uh, Jamaica has, I believe, the most, still does, the most churches per capita of any nation in the world, church on every corner, yet has not been transformed or discipled to where there's still, you know, there's still systemic poverty, systemic corruption within different levels of society, uh, the, the systemic fatherlessness and all that goes on uh, within that nation as great as Jamaica is. These issues are still prevalent. You might think, wow, we have all these churches here, but the kingdom of God has not come. And this is the same story for many places, including first world nations. So the presence of churches doesn't necessarily determine whether the nation will be discipled or the community transformed. The presence of sons and daughters, kingdom carriers who have been awakened to their calling, purpose, and destiny, who have been equipped and sent in an organized way, that is the determining factor of where society goes. It has always been that way historically, but I won't go down that road either today. But the kingdom of God trains people to build the kingdom everywhere they are. Now, I just mentioned that the pulpit-driven church focuses on reproducing pastors and church planting. That's been the typical model. However, the kingdom of God, I'll define it just a bit different. The kingdom of God focuses on reproducing sons and daughters mature enough to be sown into society. So the pulpit-driven church focuses on reproducing pastors and more churches, satellite churches. It's me coming in on video in 20 different places. Hooray! <laughs> you know, or I put a pastor there and we are considered successful. However, the city can still be very lost. So the pulpit-driven church focuses on reproducing pastors and churches. The kingdom-driven church focuses on reproducing sons and daughters mature enough to be sent into society. How powerful is that? Imagine a church that it, it didn't so much matter what happened on Sunday morning because so many have been equipped and prepared as mature sons and daughters and sent into society. I've seen it, we do it, we live it. Now, I'll give one more, I think, before we, we finish up today. I've been going for a few minutes here. The pulpit-driven church, all staff efforts center around the Sunday gathering, the Sunday church experience. Again, if you've just tuned in, it's not bad, but it, it doesn't accomplish the end game if you're restricted to that model only. All staff efforts center around the Sunday gathering, However, a kingdom-driven church, all staff efforts centered around making the church a multi-streamed experience and ascending center. So what, what do I mean by that? It's not just about the Sunday service, but there are many streams that people can get into. Cell groups, home groups, uh, gifts of the spirit, this, evangelism, uh, society, small groups, transformation, that there are many streams and the Sunday morning is really just the big pond that, or, or pool that they all gather in and then the fish are sent to different streams with the ultimate goal of the kingdom being brought out there beyond the four walls. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget as I, in fact, I was saving this for, for next week, this portion, but 
But I, I, I remember seeing a particular church that I was really trained in heavily, a revival over in Europe. I served on the Apostolic Council there at the highest level for a number of years. So I, I saw the inward workings of the church. I even did a study on it. I've written a book about it. Uh, and uh, I remember when I interviewed, I was interviewing the, the different department heads in the church. And when I got to the children's pastor, I really thought I was going to hear like, okay, we, on Sunday, the kids are dismissed after two fast songs. <laughs> and they're, they're led into a room and we play games. We have felt boards. We have felt Jesus and the felt sheep. Uh, if you remember those, I'm dating myself a bit there. And then they have snack time. Yeah, <laughs> we got some people laughing in the studio. You remember that, eh, Bruce? And, uh, and, uh, and then there's video time or nap time. And it was amazing when I asked, I just asked the question, what do you do for, as a children's pastor, what do you do with the, the kids on Sunday? And I remember her response. She said, oh, Pastor Derek, we don't limit our children's ministry to the Sunday service. In fact, for the rest of that meeting, she never even told me what they do on Sunday. She said, we pastor the children of the city. And she then took me down a road of how they were, they were on, on PA days or PD days, you know, when the kids have a day off and the parents don't know what to do with them because the parents have to work and all of this, they would hold a carnival or an event in the city for all the kids to come to, and they were leading these kids to Christ. They would raise up leaders, children's and youth leaders, who would go and become, they would, their, their sole focus of prayer and fasting was to become the, the uh, coaches of the sports teams, the kids' sports teams. <laughs> they would possess these gates where children were, where youth were, and they were leading them to Christ. And then they gave their system and process of once they've led the child to Christ, how they bring the parents to Christ and how they integrate the entire family into the, the church system. And we began to practice this same kind of thing with our church and that's how we began to see the results that we, that we have seen. I want to help pastors and leaders that are struggling to make this shift. It is such a minor tweak, but we've been so ingrained in religious thinking. We're so busy competing with other pastors. We're thinking in terms of just church size as determining ministry success. I want to break you out of the, the unhealthy version of pulpit-driven church where the kingdom of God is, where, where you don't have to worry anymore how many people are coming, but you're excited about what you're doing out there. Once a year, we have our Beyond the Four Walls conference, and we put these average people who are having above average influence in society. We put them on the stage. They give their statistics of how many people they reached this year. And the church gets to celebrate, wow, I know we're only a 500-member church or 200-member church, but we influenced 10,000 people this year. And this many people were led to the Lord. And the church starts to get excited and sees that, wow, this is what church is about. It's not about how many people I get into a chair here, but how much kingdom I can, I can bring out there. When we made this shift in our own church and ministry, it was in that next two-year period, we reached over 250,000 people 
in just those two years. We had more fruitfulness than the previous uh, seven years combined when we made this shift. I'm so excited to speak to the nuts and bolts of this next week, as well as to get into what is organized righteousness? How can we organize the kingdom? Thank you for catching us on Transformation Generation Podcast. We'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV, or download our History Makers Society app today.